Good morning and welcome to Eastlake. My name is Margo. I'm the Where Love Pastor here. And uh, sometimes I fill in for Brent or just give him a little bit of an easier Sunday. Also, you know, he's a man. Sometimes you need a little bit more estrogen up in here. So that's what we're doing. Uh, something you may not know about me, apart from being a Where Love Pastor, is that Margo is actually my middle name. My first name is Hannah. But my parents uh, kind of treated my name like a gym membership that you get in January. Well-intentioned, never used it. So that's how Margo came about. Uh, we are in week one of a new series. So if, if this is your first time joining us, you picked a perfect week. Start of a series on comparison. And uh, I think all of us are slightly aware that comparison may be an issue in our lives, especially with the rise of social media, we have never lived in a day and age where we were more aware of what other people were doing on their day-to-day lives. Think about that for a second. Uh, There's never a point in time where you're like, yeah, I can tell you what 47 of my Facebook friends had for dinner the other day. Like, this is a weird, a weird space and time to be alive, to be living. Uh, And yet, Social media is a great way to connect and to, to stay in touch with people and to reconnect, and yet it's created this kind of toxic environment where we, since we're hyper aware of what everyone else is doing, we're also hyper aware of what we're not doing. Like, oh man, she brought these homemade cupcakes to the bake sale with all these cool decorations. I guess I have to go put some effort out there because Yolk's cupcakes just don't cut it the way they used to. So we... We find ourselves kind of always playing catch-up because we're always super aware of what everyone else is doing and how it's so much better than what we're doing. And yet, uh, we've gotten used to this. We've gotten used to this mindset of always having to live up to other people's standards. There's so many things that we just do in our day-to-day lives that we don't realize are new or different or not done everywhere everywhere else. Uh, Here's a list of some things that that are new to this Uh, the last even 40 years. It's not weird to us to have two cars. It's not weird to us to work two or more jobs. It's not weird of us to put our kids in throwaway diapers. It's not weird to us to sign our kids up for summer camps and theater programs and sports sports weeks and all these things. These are not done in other countries um, very often. In fact, uh, I was a missionary in Georgia, and I learned really quickly that uh, you have to know what's the normal there in order to not be, uh, to not have a bunch of angry old Georgian widows like chase you down the street with a pitchfork. Uh, did it not happen to me, but maybe someone I know uh, that looks a lot like me and there might be some Facebook evidence there. For instance, uh, you may be chased around by a Georgian widow if you open two windows in a room because two windows is seen as bad luck. It lets the evil spirits in. Uh, so they will not be happy if you let evil spirits into their church space when you're supposed to be preaching. But, you know, there's no air conditioning, so yeah, it feels like hell anyways. So uh, uh, so that's one. Uh, if you put uh, your purse or your belongings on the ground, uh, once again, the, the devil is going to suck the money out of your finances, so they'll get really mad if you put their purse on the ground. Uh, children that are sitting on the ground are now touched by the evil eye, and they get really mad about that. So there was a lot of things that I just thought were normal that weren't normal there. Uh, I think the worst one uh, was I was sitting at a table, And I was on the corner because there just wasn't a lot of space. And the Georgian widows were like, (gasps) and they're all like whispering. I'm trying to teach a Bible study lesson. And they were not paying attention. They were in the tizzy. 
And it's because the corner, if you sit on a corner as a woman, it is, as they say, like a knife to the womb. You never get married. And I was like, oh, okay. I have a husband, so they can just eat that. So um, there's lots of things that we do nowadays that are not weird to us. Uh, One of the other things was as a kid growing up in New England, uh, you brought a very specific sandwich to school. Now, anywhere else, what's the normal American thing, apparently, is peanut butter and jelly. Uh, If you are in New England, you have a fluffinutter. This is, I don't know who invented this. This was the age before the food pyramid mattered, because this is peanut butter and, like, liquid marshmallow sugar uh, on bread, which is more sugar. So I... Our poor teachers pray for New England school teachers. This is what the kids are eating every day. But this, to me, was completely normal. And when I went to another school or visited friends, and the mom's like, what do you guys want for your picnic? And I'm like, a fluffinutter. And they look at you like you're crazy. So there's so many things that we do that seem normal to us that aren't um, because we live in a society where we're so aware of what everyone else is doing. So we kind of become this homogenized thing. Uh, It's normal to go all out on Christmas presents, right? You see all these other families that the present pile seems as big as the tree. It's normal to have all the toys, the the boats, the the ATVs, the four-wheelers, the jet skis, the snowmobiles. It's normal now to go all out on birthday parties. As a kid growing up, birthday meant a like a, uh, an ice cream cake and my grandma coming over. And maybe I got to watch a Disney movie on our little TV. Like That was the height of excitement. And nowadays, birthdays are to do. You have to make reservations at places and rent equipment. And then it's like a three-week prep process where you're already like Pinteresting birthdays like three years out, trying to get these cool snacks that'll make all the other moms think that you are you care so much and you're so crafty when really you have all these burns from the hot glue gun and you're just like trying to keep your sanity together. We we have normalized things that just aren't normal everywhere, and it's hard. So why do we live in the, in, for lack of a better word, the hustle? Because that's what we're doing, right? We are working so hard to prove to everyone else that we've got it together. We're working so hard to prove to everyone else that we go on the best vacations, that we drive the best vehicles, that we have the best jobs, that our kids are perfect angels at all times. We are working our hardest to portray this image to other people and to achieve this image. And it's, why are we doing that? Because everyone else is doing that. Because social media, we've talked about it before, is a highlight reel. It doesn't show the reality. It doesn't show the pile of laundry that needs to be done. It doesn't show, well, you might have one car that's okay. The other one probably should be condemned by the state of Washington, like would not be allowed to drive in King County because it's just letting off like a a giant cloud of smog or anything like that. We, We... we only see everyone else's highlight reel, so we feel the need to work harder, to provide more, to be more. We feel the need to diet, I need to slim down, or we feel the need to bulk up. Uh, we feel the need to upgrade our house, upgrade our car, upgrade our TV. Or now there's a new thing where everyone's downgrading, right? Like, oh, you have a big house, you need to, you need to try minimalism. You need to just have three outfits that you just rotate through. And my kids, you know, they only have one toy. And you're like, well, good for you. But my kid would probably sock me in the face if I tried that. We try to, we try to downsize. Now the big craze is tiny houses, which I'm like, this is not new. 
trailers, people. These were the original. No one glamorizes the trailers. I'm like, they are minimalist, okay? They know how to get by with two burners, and these people don't get the credit that they, they need because there's no HGTV special on, like, trailers and trailer parks. Come on now. There's a market there somewhere they're missing out. So it's, it's crazy, and I don't want to put all the blame on social media, but it's, it's true that it's made it worse. It's made it more acute. And the thing is, is we don't even, that's not our intent, right? We don't go on social media thinking like, oh, I just want to ruin my mood right now. I just, I, could, I can't wait to sign up for Facebook so I can be more jealous of my friends all the time. Like that is not our intention, right? We're thinking, oh, I want to connect. And I, you know, who wants to write a letter to grandma when I can just post a picture and grandma and everyone can see it? We live in this comparison trap. That's the reality. We are living in a comparison trap where our expectations never meet our reality. And the expectation is set by everyone else, right? Because everyone else's families have it all together. Everyone else goes on the better vacation, has the better job, better car, better dressed kids. And our expectations, because they set them, they're like, these are real people. I'm not trying to be Kim Kardashian. I'm just trying to be my coworker. The expectation is set, and it never meets our reality. So we hustle, we work super hard, and yet it just doesn't feel like we ever meet that, the, what they show as their expectation. And my husband, unfortunately, encountered this the other day. Uh, I just celebrated my first anniversary of turning 29. Uh, and it was very hard, so he's like, I'm going to plan a trip, and we're not going to talk about it, and we'll get through this together. And so he planned a trip. He knows. I'm like, I, babe, I just want to go and see beautiful mountains and flowers. We're in the Pacific Northwest. This shouldn't be hard. Just I'm going to leave it to you, babe, to plan this trip. And he did. He did a really great job. He pl planned the route and figured out what time we need to leave and got it all ready. And so we get to the National Park, Rainier National Park, and we get there. And this is, he's like, babe, this is what we're going to see. This is the hike that I'm going to take you on. It's super easy so we can feel really cool, but we didn't actually do, like, the cardio. It's, like, the best of both worlds. Like, come on, let's be real. That's the, totally the best of both worlds. We're going to drive up to, like, the top and then, like, do a little loop. And we're going to get to see the wildflowers. And look at that mountain. This is going to be the best ever, best 29th anniversary ever. And we get there, and this was it. Uh, I had gym shoes on, which is an upgrade for my normal sandals. So uh, not great. Uh, the, the real reality is that that's as far as the trail as we went, because after falling on your butt a couple times, you're kind of over the snow. And then he's telling me, there is a mountain there. I swear it's there. <laughs> and I'm like, I, so this is my Instagram edit here. Insert mountain and my wildflowers. Uh, but how often is it that like life? You see what everyone else is doing. You strive after it. You're like, oh, having a great new house sounds awesome. And then you make your first mortgage payment and you're like, this is not awesome. This is scary and all these things. Our expectation usually never comes close to our reality. And, the, and why this is the case is because whenever we look at other people's lives, all we're getting is what, uh, what one of my friends calls the glimpse and what the glimpse is, is we see 30 seconds of their reality. And if they're in a public space, it's probably a better 30 seconds. We don't see, you know, what their hair looks like and what their clothes look like when they're, you know, binging on Netflix. We see them 
when they're coming through the lobby doors in the morning and their kids are dressed so nice. and every, We have no idea that that family almost got arrested from like yelling and screaming on the drive over. You're lucky that you're, you guys are in one piece. There's some emotional trauma just trying to get your kids to church on time. We don't see that though. We see the, oh, hi, I have coffee and I'm in, you know, we see what people, what they want us to see, which is the glimpse. And we don't see what's going on behind the scenes. We don't see uh, their bills. We don't see their debt that has provided this nice vacation at a high cost. We don't see uh, that, yeah, they have nice things, but they never get to spend time with their kids because they're working so hard. We don't see the struggle. We don't see that, you know, they have all these things, but their relationship's falling apart because they're being pulled in so many different ways. We don't see the hard reality behind most people's lives because all we see is the highlight reels or the glimpse. The glimpse. All we're seeing is a glimpse. And one of, one of the books I'm reading to, to structure this series is this book called um, I'm Happy For You, Sort of, not really. And it's a, gr- it's a great book. It's really good. And she says one of the best pieces of advice she got was this little quote. And it said, whenever you see the glimpse and you recognize, oh man, her house looks perfect, but I'm not seeing the laundry behind the door. Like just to look beyond the glimpse and to say to yourself, not my race, not my pace. Saying, you know what, that's great that they are able to go on those vacations. That's great that he got that promotion. And that's great that they have this, this, and this. But you know what? If we tried to achieve that, it would exhaust us. It would probably ruin our relationship, which isn't even in a good place right now. It would, it would probably destroy us to try to get what they have. So I just need to know that right now in this season of my life, we can't spend that extra money. We can't do these things. And it's okay because it's not my race and it's not my pace. You need to be living the life that makes your family and, and your sanity in a healthy spot. And sometimes that means not doing all the things that you see everyone else doing, that you get the glimpse of everyone else doing for your own sake, for your own health, to say sometimes whenever that, that twinge comes up that you're not good enough, you're not trying hard enough, you don't have the same reputation of respect or all these things, to just say, you know what, it's not, they're, they're doing great on their own, but that is not my race and it's not my pace. So why does this matter? Why, why does recognizing the comparison trap matter? And it matters because we need to be intentional. Intentional means uh, it doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't just happen from like, oh, I should do these things and then never thinking about it again. We need to be intentional, actively thinking, actively stopping this toxic mindset because comparison living doesn't just make us depressed that we aren't as awesome as everyone else, it actually starts to make us dislike everyone else. And that's the ugly part that we don't want to talk about. We all recognize that whenever I watch, whenever, like, as a guy, if you flip through a men's health magazine, you're like, oh, gosh, like, when can dad bob, dad bod have a magazine? Because you don't see that. Or whenever you look at... Um, an HGTV special, my house doesn't look like that. It's, we can all recognize that it's, it's pretty easy to feel crummy about what our life looks like, what our relationships look like. That's the easy part. It's hard to follow that and realize that what that leads to is us disliking everyone else. 
You may say, oh, no, that's not me, but think about it. If there's someone that you work with that gets that promotion or that woman that you're like, she doesn't even work and her husband, like, you know, does all these things and me and my husband are both working and yet they got the new house and the new this and that. What happens is you start getting jealous and you start thinking, like, well, she doesn't deserve that and he doesn't work hard enough and I know that he does some shady things in his business. And we start going down this trail where we start just getting angry and thinking really ugly things about our neighbor, about our community, about people that we only get a glimpse of, that we only see a glimpse of. And that's one of the biggest dangers is that when we get stuck in the cycle of comparison, it leads to thinking really ugly thoughts about other people. And that's totally contrary to the example that we see Jesus set in his life and in his ministry because Jesus made it clear with how he lived his life, the example that he led, that caring for others, caring about other people, how they're doing, where they're at, caring for others is more important than caring what others think. Because when we're stuck in comparison, all we're doing is, man, what's she going to say about me if I don't come to that brunch all dressed to the nines? And what are these people going to think about me if my kids aren't perfect and doing all these extracurriculars? And what are they going to think about me if I don't get a new boat when they get a new boat? And all these things, when we focus on caring what others think, that puts us as the center of the universe. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It matters more what people, other people matter more than what other, than caring what others think. And he shows that in his life. It's pretty clear if Jesus cared what others think, he would never hang out with prostitutes. He wouldn't uh, hang out with tax collectors. He wouldn't go into forbidden parts of town and hang out with unclean people. He would Uh, have a picket fence and a house and a wife and do all these other things because that's what society wanted him to do. That was the comfortable role of success they wanted him to be in. And instead, he lived life as essentially a homeless guy going from couch to couch, cave to cave, village to village so that he could care for the people that no one else cared about, so that he could be an encouragement and a light on people that had never experienced that before. And he knew that it was gonna draw negative attention and he knew that people wouldn't like him and would have very strong opinions of him and that he would not make the grade as society would label it. And he didn't care at all because it was more important to care for other people than to care what others thought of him. That mattered so much more to him. And we see this uh, in a letter that the church was writing to this, this other church trying to give him advice on how to operate uh, in this town. And it's still relevant to this day, I think. This is the advice they gave after Jesus' example. It says, do nothing. And that covers, that covers the whole scope here. Do not a single thing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, which means for the me, for the almighty me. Do nothing for essentially yourself and only your benefit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So how do I figure out if my decisions fall into this? How, what, what, what is something done out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? Well, the easiest ones fall into the category of, if I do this, who benefits? Is it just me? 
And, you can, and oftentimes we try to, to try to play it off saying, well, if I work those extra hours, if I work the weekends and miss my kids' recitals and not there to help my kid with their homework, it does benefit my kids because we're going to have all this extra room in our bank account and we can go on vacations. Uh, but in that book that I'm reading, it says, oftentimes we can know if a decision is really just for our benefit or comfort or peace of mind for ourselves if we ask other people what they would choose for us. If you ask your child, hey, would you like me to go to work and then maybe we can get a, a different car? I can go, you know, go to work on the weekend, and get a different car. Or do you want me at your soccer practice? Uh, hey, do you, want, do you want me to, to put in these extra hours and put this extra time in? Or do you want to still have date night? What would other people choose for us? That's a good way to break down whether our choice is for selfish ambition or for other people. And this verse says, look for other people's interests. How can I help someone else? And uh, I like to, to think of the danger that we get into when we don't do this, when we're not constantly training our minds, saying, who is this benefiting? Why am I making this choice? Why am I making this purchase? Who is it benefiting? Is It's called, I like to think of it as a downward slope with our focus. And our focus starts with this. First, we, our focus is on comparison, right? Oh, I need to upgrade my car. I need to upgrade my house. I need to, to go on this diet. I need to get this membership. I need to provide these things for my kids because I see everyone else doing it. We start by focusing on comparison, which then leads to really focusing on ourselves because when I'm focusing on what I can get for me, what I can get for my family, the life I can build, this reputation I can build, we're not focusing on other people and how they're doing, how we can help other people. We're just focusing on ourselves. What can I do for me to make my life more comfortable, more glamorous, more this and that? So we're really, when we focus on comparison, we're focusing on ourselves, which then leads to the saddest part of this equation, which means that we're no longer contributing. And what does that mean? It means we are no longer being a tool used to make this world a better place. Because when we're focusing on ourselves, we are oblivious to the pains and the aches and the hardships of other people. Because I come first. My family comes first. My comfort comes first. My peace of mind, my security comes first. And we're doing nothing to help the people around us. Even if it's helping by being an encouragement. I can't worry about your problems. I got my problems. I know you got money hardship, but I got money hardship. When we focus on ourselves, we stop contributing to making this world a better place, which is why we are here to lift one another up, to be an encouragement, and to point people in a direction of peace and, and fulfillment through God, essentially. So moving on, we see uh, another letter that I think really breaks this down. And this was written as a book of wisdom. So like it would be taught in a religious classroom. This is something that they've held on to dearly. And I think it's crazy that this is over 2,000 years old, and yet I can't imagine it being as applicable then as it is now. Like to me, I'm like, the way that America is structured and how hard we're working, this seems to be something that I wish was shouted from the rooftops. So a book called Ecclesiastes, which is a big word that just means assembly. So he's like, tell this to a lot of people. Tell this to a group of people. And it says this. I have seen that every effort, once again, covering the whole scope, every effort in labor and every skill in work, where does it come from? It comes from man's rivalry with his neighbor. We work so hard because of our rivalry with our neighbor. 
My life has to look just like hers, so I'm going to work really hard and try to outdo them. He says, this is where it comes from. This is where this drive to be better, to have more, to do more comes from. It's because of our rivalry with our neighbor. And this is what the author has to say about it. This too, because he's listed other things that are just not great and healthy for humanity. This too is vanity, which can also be translated into futility, which means like pointlessness. This is pointless, he's saying, or this is false pride. And, he, and I like this illustration. He says, and chasing after the wind, which we're like, what does that mean? Well, imagine chasing after the wind. When you're chasing after the wind, you are running, you are exerting effort on something you will never achieve. You are exerting yourself on something you will never grasp. If you saw someone chasing after the wind, you would think they look crazy because that is crazy. They're doing something that they will never get. And yet that's what we do when we work so hard to accumulate stuff and to look a certain way because you know the second you buy the new house or remodel the kitchen or do what you want to do to to look awesome in the eyes of the world, it's just going to get outdated. It's going to be the passe style, the passe house. You're going to get that new phone and then they come out with the next one the, the day after and you're like, oh, I saved up this money. I took out this loan for something that just doesn't matter. It's chasing after the wind. We are chasing after something that is a moving target that we will never catch. And yet how much of our energy goes into that? Chasing after things that we will never have, that we'll never have enough of. And so what does he say? Does he say that we should just give up? Like, oh, instead of working our our butts off, we should just sit back and do nothing. No, that's what this next section says. The fool folds his hand together and destroys himself, which sounds really intense. But he's saying, you can't not work. You can't just fold your hands together and say, well, I'm not going to try. And I'm not going to make any effort because that destroys yourself. He's saying, you can't not work. You can't do nothing. So where, where is the balance between working our butts off to try to get everything and doing nothing. And he says, this is the balance. One hand full of rest and patience is better than two fists full of labor and chasing after the wind. We know when we're carrying groceries, if you have two handfuls, that's a lot of groceries. One handful, not a lot. Uh, Or unless you're that crazy person that puts like 20 bags in one arm. So he's saying one handful, find the balance. Don't Work so hard that your family never sees you, that you're not able to build good relationships, love on people. Don't work so hard that you can't find rest and patience. And patience is hard because we live in a society where uh, I can click something on Amazon and get any wish I want fulfilled in two days, right? Unless you're in West Richland, because for me, it's like five days now. I don't know what's going on. So, uh, but he's saying we need to have patience, we need to have patience. You're like, oh, but I want that house now. Well, if you get the house now, you'll be house poor for 10 years until your mortgage comes to a point where you can really afford it or you get the promotion where you can afford it. It's so hard to have patience when we see everyone else purchasing all these things that we want when really we need to sometimes wait and save until we're in a place to afford it. So he's saying, one, rest, don't work yourself to the bone, and two, wait, learn what it means to be patient and wait for the right season in your life to move into some of these next things. And he says that is way better than two fistfuls of labor, working yourself to death and chasing after the wind, running after that finish line that never comes. And why this matters to me, or what's the solution, I should say, for me, for us, 
is this, this guy, Jesus, we like to talk about him here. And uh, he, one of my favorite names for him is this name that's the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And I think the of peace part is really important because the way this is structured, uh, anytime we say the queen of, we then go to the country or where their kingdom is. So we say the queen, we think the queen of England, unless it's just the other prince and then he's the, I don't know what he's the ruling person of, awkward rock and roll, I'm not sure. So we got the, the queen of England. So when, we, when Jesus calls himself the prince of peace, he's saying that he is the, the ruler or the inheritor of a land of peace, a kingdom of peace. And what that means is that everywhere in his boundaries, everywhere in his border of this area that he establishes and rules over is peace. He gets to say what stays and what goes. And so he says, stress is not allowed in here. Chasing after the wind is not allowed in here. If you are in my kingdom, if you are in my land, you will know peace because this is the land of peace and I am the ruler of it. And I will maintain it and secure it and establish it as peace. So when we, when we come to Jesus, we enter in to a space of peace where our feelings like we're not enough and that we're not doing enough, and that everyone else is just uh, looking at us like we're nothing, and that uh, we just aren't with it or cool enough or uh, have the best relationships. When we enter into that kingdom of peace, those things are not allowed in because it's a kingdom of rest, a kingdom of peace. And I see, I see this laid out in another letter that was written to a church um, after Jesus' Jesus's time, and it says this, this is the advice for them, and I think it's a great advice for us. Let the peace of Christ, which means the inner calm of one who walks daily with him. And this is hard. that's the hard part. Walking daily with him, we're like, well, how do I do that? If this is this figure that I'm not sure how I feel about, if he's there, if he's not there, how do I walk daily with him? And that just means spending time. Spending five minutes before the kids wake up, setting your alarm. For me, I hate mornings, but setting my alarm back a couple minutes so I can spend time saying, all right, I'm leaving. I'm entering the kingdom of peace, so I need to leave my stress at the door. I need to leave my worry at the door. I need to leave my like, brain going a million miles an hour trying to plan out my day to the second at the door. I need to enter into a space of peace and rest and spend time with the, the ruler, the prince of peace, Christ. So let the, the peace of Christ be the controlling factor in your hearts. The controlling factor. Deciding and settling questions that arise. So whenever, we, whenever those things bubble up in our brain saying, well, what about, Christ says, I'm giving you peace over this. And then once again, we look at someone and their life seems so perfect, we get the glimpse, oh, well, I just need, and Christ says, no, rest and hear some peace to settle that thing that's arising in you. To this peace, indeed, you are called as members in one body of believers, saying we have access. We are totally welcome into this space of peace and not chasing after the wind in this body of believers. And then he ends it with, and to be thankful to God always, because that's what happens. Right now, I know when I'm not living in the land of peace when I am not grateful for many things. 
when I'm frustrated, you're like, if you saw my bank account, you would not think, oh yeah, you're living in peace. And you would not be thankful if you knew what my marriage looked like. You would not be thankful if you knew the car I had to drive or the job I had to work at. You would not be thankful. But here's the thing, when we walk with Christ, when we enter into that space of peace, this is the result, is we become thankful because we're able to squash all that comparing ourselves to other people and see the blessings that we do have, see what God is trying to do in our lives, and then we become thankful people. So it comes down to this. When I focus on what other people are doing, I want more. That's the truth. There's very few times that I am able to go on Instagram or Facebook and there's not something like, ooh, like I would love to have that in my life. I would love uh, my relationship to look like that. I would love my family to look like that, my house to look like that, my car to look like that. When I focus on what everyone else is doing, I just end up wanting more. But when I focus on what God says about me, and what he's doing in my life, I am more. Because when I focus on other people, I just feel less than. I don't know if I'm alone in this. I just feel like I am not on par. I'm not doing enough. I'm not trying enough. I'm not being enough. I'm not talented enough, wise enough. And yet when I focus on what God says about me, and this may be a revelation for people because I know there was a point in my life when I was kicking the tires in Christianity and I didn't want to open my Bible because I was just scared that I would open it and just hear that God just thinks I'm this awful person because that's what society tells me is that I'm not good enough. So why do I want to open this book that's just going to affirm that I'm not good enough, that I'm jacked up and, and just a mess and like, I know that. I don't need a book to remind me of that. When really, when I got past my fear, I realized that there are thousands of things that God says about me that I desperately needed to hear and still need to hear on a daily basis because society is going to be in contradiction to that. It's going to tell me that I need to work harder and have more and look a certain way. And God's saying, if you would just enter into my kingdom of peace and believe what I say about you, then you are more. You are enough. You are complete as you are. So when I focus on what other people are doing, I want more. But when I focus on what God says about me and what he's doing in my life, I am more. We need to capture our focus. We need to train our focus to stop focusing on what everyone else is doing and to focus it on the Prince of Peace that will lead us to contentment and fulfillment. Because in the end, when we let these things get under our skin and tear us down and define us as lacking, all those things don't mean a single thing to God. And they actually only stop, stop us from fo focusing on how we can help other people. When I feel miserable about myself, I do not have the energy or the motivation to do anything else to make other people's lives better. But that's what we're called to do is to love other people and to lift them up. And we can't do that when we're focusing inward on our incompleteness, as society would say. And instead on the completeness that God says what we have. And I know you guys can take it or leave it. Uh, this is just, this is your decision. I can't make this decision for you to work on refocusing 
your mind and your heart on the truth that you are complete, that you do have enough. But here's the thing. If you, if you continue to focus on just hustling and getting ahead, uh, it's not going to be very helpful at the end of everything because you don't, you don't hear this. At the end of your life, you never hear a story about, about someone, you know, they're sitting in the bed, they have the family around them, and you never hear them say like, oh, Martha, could you take me to the garage to see my Ferrari just one more time? Like, that is not how that goes down. That is not how, how we go out because in the end, it does not matter what we've accumulated. It does not matter what our house looks like. It does not matter what we look like. What matters is the relationships that we've poured into, and that's what we want to surround ourselves with. Not our stuff, not what we've achieved. So here are the questions that we need to take with us this week to think about. What is it that I'm striving after? What is it that I'm chasing after? And then this next question, once you identify that thing or those, those things, who does it benefit? Is it just me? Am I saying it's me and my family just because uh, that, that makes me feel better about it? Here's the next question. Whose achievements have caused me to become jealous or self-pitying? Because that's that seed of disliking other people because of how we feel about ourselves. And that's not healthy. And it's not even fair to them because, like I said, we only see the glimpse. We don't see everything behind it. Next question is, what's an area of my life that I need to say, not my race, not my pace? And lastly... Do I spend time with the Prince of Peace? And one of, my, uh, one of the most popular psalms out there is uh, The Lord is My Shepherd, which normally if you hear that in a movie or something, you're like, oh no, this is taking a bad turn, like someone is passing away, or like this is a really a desperate situation whenever people say, like, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not, and all these things. But one of my favorite things that often we skip over in that verse and we don't focus on is there's a line that says, he, Jesus, makes me lie down in green pastures. And I think the important word that in that is makes. If you have a child, you need to make them lie down in some green pastures because they're getting cranky and tired and you're doing your best to try to keep them in the bed and try to keep them in, and you're wheeling and dealing because you know that we need rest to recharge and face the day with a better attitude. And maybe Jesus is saying to us, you're striving. You are running yourself ragged. And if you don't rest, no one's going to benefit. No one's benefiting from the attitude that's coming from exhausting yourself. So you need to lie down. You need to take something off your plate because it's not helping anyone, especially yourself. Do we spend time with the Prince of Peace? Do we spend time seeking after that peace? We're going to pray, and then we're going to do some announcements and a benediction. I'll let you guys go, but would you first pray with me? God, uh, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, that you have created a, a, a space where we can just enter in and know that we are enough as we are without any other trappings or improvements, as the, as the world would say. God, help us to change our focus into 
chasing after things that we will never even fully have, God, after things that will probably let us down when the reality sets in, and to focus on how we can help other people, how we can be an encouragement in a world that is dark and, and, and hurting, and how we can be a better representative of who you are. God, help us to just squash the things that try to steal our peace, to try to steal our joy, and to realize when we are comparing ourselves to other people that uh, we're just hurting ourselves and ultimately hurting other people because it usually makes us feel pretty crummy about them as well. God, uh, just try to help us to establish these things deep and rooted in our lives so that we can just be better, better people, better, better individuals. In your name we pray all these things. Amen.